You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Can we put our hands together and thank the Lord in this place? Powerful. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. May we never forget the sacrifice that was paid. May we never come into a moment like this casually as if we deserved what Jesus did on the cross. Let us never come into a moment and act as if we could even earn what Jesus did on the cross. There was nothing you and I could do. It was only by the shedding of his blood. And when we come into a moment like this, let our hearts be filled with gratitude over what God has done. Amen. Well, God bless you and welcome. So glad to see each and every one of you. If you have a copy of God's word, would you turn to the book of Daniel, chapter number four? I'm so glad that you're in this place. It's a joy to be together in God's house with you. So many great things that are happening. I can't wait to share more at the end of the service. But my heart is so full right now after the worship, just hearing God's people sing praise to his name. It's a great privilege to be together. Well, over the last several weeks, we've been studying the first portion of the book of Daniel, because the book of Daniel starts out practical, very practical, things that can just help us on our day-to-day, but then we're about to finish the practical side of the book of Daniel, and in the next couple weeks, we're going to move into the prophetic side, which, as you and I watch the news today, it's almost as if prophecy is being unfolded before our very eyes, as you see what's happening, as you watch what's happened around the world. So these are desperate times, but also for every believer, these are exciting times because we get to open God's word and we have a promise that's sure. And so in Daniel chapter number four, we're gonna begin reading in verse number four this evening. And I've got a large portion of scripture to cover. So we're gonna dive right into God's word. So I hope you have a copy of the Bible and a journal, a notepad, and a pen and paper, and you're ready to take some notes this evening. Beginning in verse number four, this is a first-hand account of King Nebuchadnezzar. He says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. He had a bad dream. And have you ever had a bad dream? Verse number six, Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. This sounds like a flashback from Daniel chapter number 2, where he had a dream as well. Verse number 7, the Bible says, Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel. Wow. Wow. I think there's somebody that's waiting for you to show up. I love that. But at last, Daniel. Here was a man who was struggling. 
but Daniel shows up. I think you and I can be just such a person in other people's lives. May other people, when they see you, there's a, a sense of hope and relief because you're there. But the Bible says, but at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the vision and my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. Please skip down to verse number 24, if you would. The Bible gives the interpretation. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven. Seven times shall pass over you till you know the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And insomuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know the heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. King Nebuchadnezzar has issued a warning. Let's see what King Nebuchadnezzar does after hearing the warning. Verse 28. And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, a year later, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Growing up, my parents had a children's Bible. I don't know if you had a copy of a children's Bible, but it was a thick copy of a Bible, and it looked like a family Bible or a giant dictionary or a thesaurus, and it had pictures. And we're talking 30 years ago, and I remember seeing the drawing that they made of King Nebuchadnezzar, and it gave me the EVGs. It gave me nightmares. They just made this guy look creepy. But here is King Nebuchadnezzar. He was issued a warning not to be lifted up in pride. He was told to be humble. He was told exactly what was going to happen to him if he did not change his ways. But King Nebuchadnezzar is a man like all men. And we are easily fooled into thinking that the rules don't apply to us. And so Nebuchadnezzar, a year later, Becomes filled with pride. 
insomuch that he says, look what I have done. Look at my might. Look at me. Me, me, me. He was all about himself. Everything had to do with him. And he didn't even have social media. Here was a man who just was filled with pride. And you know what pride does to men? Pride turns men into monsters. Just like it did with Nebuchadnezzar. Because that's what he became. Quite literally, a monster. They had to send him out in the field because he lost his mind. His hair began to grow. His nails began to grow. For seven years, Nebuchadnezzar was put out into a field. All because of his pride. If there is one great problem you and I will always face and always wrestle against, it's pride. Pride is what starts it all. There is not one argument, one fight, one disagreement that you and I have ever had that did not find its root source in pride. Every argument with your spouse, the root source is pride. It has nothing to do with the temperature. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It has nothing to do with the toilet seat up, the toilet seat down. It has nothing to do with which restaurant are we going to eat at. It has nothing to do with who's going to drive or who's going to go to whose house for family vacations. This, every argument, every disagreement finds its roots in pride. Pride. Every disagreement. The book of James even says every war finds its roots in pride. Everything that you and I see where things are going awry finds its roots in pride. There's an old game. I don't know if you played it with your children, but my kids loved it. It's a simple game, very easy to play. The game is called Shoots and Ladders. Any Shoots and Ladder fans in the house this evening? It's a fun game. It's easy. Let me explain the rules to you. It's real simple. There is 100 tiles on a board. On the board, there are some ladders that you can go up, and there are some chutes or slides that send you back down. What you do is you've got a little uh, uh, dial there. You spin it, and whatever number it lands on, that's how many spaces your guy gets to go. And the goal is to be the first character that can get to 100. Isn't it amazing that that game is so much like life in reality? We're all trying to climb the ladder. We're all trying to get to 100. And we're trying to do it faster than somebody else next to us. And even though if we don't know the person, we still want to beat the person. I don't know what it is, but there's this sense of inner drive that I just have to have more, do more, know more, be more, and, and do it faster than anybody else. Where do we find those roots? Where did that come from? That's pride. You see, we're all trying to climb some ladder to get somewhere. And life has a way of times of knocking us down. But notice what the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 5. It says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride leads to destruction and arrogance to downfall. We see in this passage that God warned Nebuchadnezzar, verse 27. It said that God also waited for him to change, verse 29. And then God wrecked him, verse 31 and 33. So we see that God is patient with us. God gives us time. But tonight I'm hoping to step back and you and I to look at pride because this is something we don't often think about. We don't often think about, are we prideful? I mean, we know pride when we see it, don't we? 
We can spot it in other people. We can even spot it in the closest people next to us. But we rarely spot pride within ourselves. But I'd like for you to write down this first point, and that is don't fall for it. Because pride will lead to your fall. But how many times do we fall for it? Because pride feels good. It feels good to be a little bit lifted up. It feels good to kind of, you know, talk about ourselves. Talk about our accomplishments. Talk about what we have done. And if nobody asks, we just offer it anyway. You ever met the one-upper? No matter what conversation you're talking about, they got to talk, uh, talk about how they have it, but just a little bit bigger, a little bit better. They're always trying to one-up you. It doesn't matter what you've done. They've always got to kind of show that they've done just a little bit more. You could climb Everest, and they'll say, well, I actually climbed higher than Everest somehow. I mean, this person is always trying to one-up you because they're just looking for this ladder to just keep climbing. But I'm here this evening to tell you, don't fall for it. Because in this passage, Dan Daniel gives a warning to the king. He tells them. But here's the problem with our pride is that pride is a paradox. Because pride, when we're filled with pride, we feel like we're lifted up. But the problem is, God is saying, no, I resist the proud. Here's what's amazing. There is nobody in the world that God resists except for prideful people. There's no other sin that God resists. Pride is the only sin that God says, I resist it. You say, what do you mean resist it? It means God wants nothing to do with it. God is like, no, I want to stay far away from pride. You say, why? Because pride is what sent Lucifer down from heaven. It's a dangerous sin. But yet, through the advent of social media, and I'm not saying get rid of social media, but that thing feeds our pride. It feeds our ego. Pastor Miss and I, we were at a, a pastor's conference on Thursday. And you know, whenever you go to a pastor's conference, there's one question they all want to ask. How big is your church? How many people in your church? How many baptisms? How many people are saved? It's, it's the same question. It's, it's just this measuring, like that's a status. And if you have more people or whatever. And I appreciated the keynote speaker because he got on and he's kind of uh, well-known in churches. And he got up and he said, you know, let's all just be honest that our social media is all a lie. Can we just admit that today that all of our social media is just us lying about being thinner, about being wealthier, about having more fun than other people. He said, social media is a lie. He said, I was telling our social media team that you all are just a bunch of liars because he said, I was in the building when you took the picture, but you took it from an angle, looked like we had 3,000 and there were only 30 people in there, okay? So we need to be careful about the social media. But I noticed that you and I do the same thing, don't we? It feeds our pride, feeds our ego. We know that there are certain lighting, certain filters that make us look a little bit better. And every husband who's ever had to take a selfie with the missus, you know, like you have to take at least four or five because you got to get that picture just right. Got to get it just filtered, just so. But the problem with pride is as we're trying to lift ourselves up, God says, oh, no, that's what's going to lead to your downfall. That's what's going to bring you down. But pride feels good. You see, you think pride is lifting you up, but it's actually about to let you down. But yet so many times we still fall for it. So pride is a paradox. Pride is not going up. Pride is actually bringing us down. And here's the problem. Pride will cost you everything and leave you with nothing, just like Nebuchadnezzar. It left him with nothing. 
He was out into a field. He had lost his mind. He thought he was an animal living out there in the wild for seven years. And our culture is obsessed with ourselves today. We're obsessed with it. Can I say this? We need to be careful about faking perfection. Because that's the danger right now that's in culture and in the church is faking perfection. You know, when it comes to this thing of perfection, it's better that we make mistakes than fake perfection. We learn so much from the mistakes, but yet too many times we're so focused on us and what we have done and, and how we have built it. So I see that Nebuchadnezzar, his achievements made him arrogant and his position made him proud. Here he was filled with pride. Proverbs says, in Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride comes contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Most relationships fail because couples fight with pride more than they are working with love. And here you see Nebuchadnezzar, he's filled with his pride. And yet you and I, we continue that same vicious cycle. Maybe it's not social media that you find your pride in. Maybe you find your pride in your position. Maybe you find your pride in the school you graduated from, the job you have, the spouse that you have, the accomplishments that you've made. Where do you find your source of pride? Because for many of us, what you think is your strength, that can very quickly lead to your downfall. That can lead you right off into the fall. So I want to say, don't fall for it. Pride is that thing that it just seems like, oh yeah, that'll, that'll help me. That'll make me feel better. And it never does. It never does. But I want you to understand something tonight. Let me go back to my ladder illustration. Because when I say don't fall for it, have you ever thought about falling off a ladder or falling off anything high? This is a step stool that my kids use in the kitchen. And I use it too because I'm not as tall as some of you. When it comes to the step stool, whenever I stand on it, You know one thing I'm never afraid of when I'm on this? Falling. Doesn't really scare me. Why? It's low. I'm not too worried about falling off of this thing. But this isn't the only thing that I have in my house that has to do with height. Because once again, I'm short and there are some things in my house that require just a little bit more height. So I also have a little two-step ladder. This thing, just a little bit taller. This one's in my garage because there's some higher things I needed to get to. And this one, I'm still, if I get on this, I'm not that scared. I can be on the top one, and I'm still good. I'm okay. I don't mind this. This is okay. Even though I'm higher, I'm still okay. And that's what pride does, doesn't it? Pride tricks us into thinking we're in control. So we keep going higher. This isn't the only thing that I use in my house to help me with height things this weekend Austin and I we trimmed all the hedges and trees in our yard we just went to town man we did a good job and this is one of the tools that we used nice little six foot ladder and I'm telling you at first whenever you're climbing in life getting the job things are going well you're just not afraid you're not afraid to brag it's like when you see a, 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 a somebody driving crazy you're like oh man they haven't had an accident yet they haven't had a speeding ticket they just think oh they're invincible you know same thing can happen sometimes we get away with sins and we never get away for a long time so what do we do because we haven't got caught yet 
we keep on climbing because why? We haven't got caught. And that's what happens with pride. We just keep going higher. The only problem is eventually pride's going to lead to our fall. And that's what I'm going to say to the church. Don't fall for it. But now I'm getting nervous. Because why? The higher you go, guess how much worse this fall could be for me? And that's what pride does to us. It says go higher. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. You can handle it. You can control it. There's one more step. I see a bunch of people saying no. That makes me feel good as a pastor. Like you still want me around. I'm feeling the love tonight. I will heed your warning. But when it comes to you and I, why is it that we play with pride? Why is it that we entertain it? Why is it that we allow it into our house? Why is it that we allow it into our culture? Why is it that we allow it into our church? Why is it that pride becomes something comfortable for us? Why is it something that we will let our our friends be prideful around us? We'll let our Christian brothers and sisters get away with pride. Why do we stand for it in the pastors? Why do we allow pride in? Because it's, it's insidious. Pride is disgusting. God hates pride. And pride leads to a downfall. Pride leads to every sin in the book. It starts with our pride because it gets us to think, I can handle it. I can go higher. I can go higher. But here's the thing. You never fall from a low place, only a high place. And yet we live in a culture that just says, shoots and ladders, climb higher. You can do it. Come on, just keep going just a little bit higher. Come on, get your pride back. Stand on your own two feet. You can do this. It's all you. You're the man. You can handle it. You deserve it. Your wife ain't treating you right. That's fine. You got a cute secretary at work. Oh, hey, your husband, he, he, ain't, he ain't there like you need him to be. Oh, guess what? There's that new intern at the office. You go talk to him. He seems very caring and supporting. Who cares if he lives with his parents still in the basement and plays Fortnite all night? I'm sure he's a responsible, mature substitute for your no-good husband who's working all the time. That's what happens. That's what pride does. Pride tricks us into thinking we're King Nebuchadnezzar. Look what I have built. Look what I have done. And pride leads to a fall. And my friend, I'm tired of watching so many Christians fall for it. I'm tired of seeing my brothers and sisters that get filled with pride and think, I don't need God. I don't need the church. I don't need his word. I can handle it. I can do it on my own. I'll make it fine. And God says, watch out. Because God resists that pride. Because that says you can do it all on your own. But you know what? Some of the greatest men and women of the, of the Bible, some of the greatest women of today, you know what they know? They know that the higher they lift themselves up, because pride is a paradox, the bigger their fall can be. So I've noticed that there's a, a running thread among great men and women that are godly men and women. They're not looking for the high places. They're looking for the low places. They're the ones that when they get to the feast, they're like, Jesus, hey, where's the towel? Let me wash some feet. Let me serve because I've got to have an antidote. I've got to have something to combat my pride. So the best thing to combat my pride is for me to get serving, for me to do the dirty jobs, for me to do what nobody else wants to do because I have pride in my heart. And if there is anything that attacks the pride, it's for me to get low. And when I get low, it's hard to fall from a low place. We always will fall from a high place. 
I've joked around one time my son Austin he got hurt and like every parent you come running you ask what happened and Austin says I'm hurt I shouldn't have to explain it I was like you're right yeah you shouldn't you're hurt but he got hurt why he was at a high place you and I are just like that parent when we sit our kid, kid climbing something you want to hear a funny story? My wife will tell you how she climbed on the roof of their second-story house as a four-year-old child. No ladder. They don't know how she got up there. She doesn't know how she got up there. She's one of her early childhood memories. That if you ask her, I don't, I, I'm like, there's no way. She's like, yes, I was on the second story of my house. I was climbing. Her parents were fearful. Why? Because we fall from high places. We should be nervous when we hear somebody saying, you know what? I don't really need to be in church all the time. We should be nervous for that person. Oh, I don't really need the Bible all the time. I don't really need to be in prayer. I don't really need to be in Christian community to help me with uh, accountability. I don't really need that. I can stand on my own two feet. I'm strong. Every time I hear somebody that say, hey, man, right now I'm so strong, I just kind of back up a little bit. Because that's like waving the red little thing in front of the devil. You're basically saying, come after me. I think I'm strong. And Satan says, we're about to see how strong you think you are because you just put yourself on the top of that ladder. You just lifted yourself up. Instead, we need to say, God, you know how weak I am. I'm not going to mess around with it. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to spend time with those people. I'm not going to go to that party. I'm not going to be around those friends. I'm not going to have that social media if it's going to be a temptation. I'm going to put up guards. God, how low can I go? We need to get back to the old game. How low can we go? Limbo. That's what we need to be in the Christian community. We need to say, God, I need to get small because the Bible says that God lifts us up, that God, when we humble ourselves, then God exalts us. You see, it's a paradox. If you go high, you're going to come low, but if you go low, God lifts you high. And that's what the church needs to understand today, that we can always be too big for God to use, but you can never be too small for God to use. And that's the reason why a lot of us, we don't want to be small today. Because we think that size equals significance. And size does not equal significance. Ask the boy with five loaves and two fishes. He fed over 5,000 people with his little lunch. Go ahead, if you think size equals significance, then go ahead and ask David with his little slingshot who saved a nation. Go ahead, and if you think size equals significance, just look at the widow's might. What did Jesus say to his disciples when the widow gave her little might that's less than a penny? When she put it in the offering, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, look at her. She gave more than everybody. Why? Because she gave all she had. She gave it all. So don't think size equals significance. And that's why so many people in the church, we, we fight humility. We fight being the servant. We don't actually want to be a servant. But what did Jesus come to do? The Bible says that he was the servant of all. What is the word servant in the Greek? It's the Greek word doulos. Doulos means slave. Talk about a hard word. That's exactly what Jesus said, I am. He said, hey, that's what I am for you. 
So don't come home and, and get upset at your wife, get upset at your husband when they ask you to do the dishes, when they ask you to give the kids a bath, because we are the servant of our spouses. We should serve them. We should serve our children. God forbid that you are better and well-known in the workplace than you are at your own home place. Your home place is where we should be strong, where we should be known, where we should minister. And when people that are at our home, when they go somewhere else and they hear, hey, your husband's a real deal. He's a man of God. They should say, yeah, he starts at home. His son says it too. His spouse says it too. It shouldn't be that everybody else but your family says it. It should be the family says, hey, you know what's the best part? You're talking about my wife, and you're saying how godly she is, how good she is. That's how she is at home. I'm not faking perfection. I'm just saying this is how it is. But so many times today, we're climbing the ladder. We're trying to get our name known. I laugh today, and I know I'm talking to church people, but I laugh when people say, I'm building my platform. Your platform. Yeah, I'm building my platform. You know, i got to have a platform today. I'm thinking, what happened to letting God build the platform? What happened to letting God raise you up? We got so many self-promoters these days. They call themselves influencers instead of coming back and saying, you know what? I'm just trying to love and serve people. One thing I appreciate about Southridge, we have a culture where we serve one another. We serve the lost, the dying, the hurting. We know that there's a ladder that other people can climb and go ahead and you climb it. We're trying to say, who can I serve in our city? Who can I bless today? Who can I help today? Because that's what the world needs. That's what they want to see is a body of Christians who don't just exist for themselves, but they exist to serve not only one another, but also those that are outside the four walls. But we will never be a servant if we're constantly trying to climb that ladder. We just say, you know what, I just got to get higher. I just got to keep making it. Why? Because too often we're preoccupied with self. And when I'm preoccupied with self, I'm too busy to serve you. And this is why we've got so many wrecked homes. This is why we've got so many rebellious kids is because mom and dad are too busy trying to impress somebody that doesn't even really care for what? Why? Because they're just trying to climb climb some ladder. Instead of saying, you know what? I need to step back and say, Lord, help me because you will never fall from a low place. You always fall from a high place. And so when we, may we be the church that says, Lord, help us find the low spot. Lord, what's the job nobody else wants to do? What's the job everybody else is shying away from? Put me there, God. What, what, what community needs Jesus the most in San Jose that nobody else wants to go there? God, send me. God, the coworker nobody else wants to talk to, they think she's weird. They think he's weird. God, send me, open the door for me to tell them, him or her, about Jesus. God, use me because, Lord, I know I'm nothing. You see, today, we're climbing ladders. You see, a person that is low never fears falling. I notice this. There's a connection between your greatness and your gratitude. Because gratitude's a guard. You know that, right? Grateful people, that's a guard against pride. When you're grateful, there's no room for pride because your heart is filled with gratitude. If you are struggling in your relationship, get grateful for them. 
All day, just think about how sweet they are, how kind they are, the sacrifices that person has made. All of a sudden, your heart and attitude will change toward that person. You ever have a boss that's difficult? Start thanking that boss. Go out of your way to do something nice for that boss. I had a boss, and he was a pain to work with. Couldn't stand working with him. He was obnoxious for the sake of being obnoxious until I found out he liked golf. So I went and bought some really expensive golf balls, and I went and put them on his desk before he got to work. And then the next day, when he came in, he found me and he was like hey thank you so much for the golf balls thank you you went out of your way you didn't have to do that what do you need I was like what do you mean what do I need you're the boss yeah what do you need what can I do for you our relationship did a 180 because nobody had appreciated him he was just looking for a little appreciation and the moment I got grateful it turned everything around is your relationship struggling your marriage struggling your dating struggling get grateful Instead of being upset, instead of sending nasty, angry texts, how about you just say, you know what, I'm going to get grateful for this person. You usually say, well, they don't do everything perfect. Find something they do and be grateful for it. You see, people that are great understand how to get grateful. I love what Zechariah 4.10 says, for who has despised the day of small things? You see, we're in a culture today that doesn't want to be small. We want everything to be large and in charge. We want our clothing to be large. We want our attitude to be large. We want our bank account to be large. We just want everything large today. And we think being small and being simple is something that we shouldn't have. But I'm telling you, significance has nothing to do with being small. Because like Zechariah said, for who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's saying, don't despise the day of small things. In 1851, they were trying to build a bridge across Niagara Falls. It was 851 feet, but in 1851, 850 feet. How do you span that? How do you get across the Niagara Falls? Because it's a 200-foot drop. So an engineer by the name of Roebling, he came up with an idea. He said, let's have a kite flying contest, and we'll give the winner $5. It's whoever can get their kite to land on the other side. And they would get the kite to land on the other side, and once the kite had landed, they tied a little bit bigger string to the string that the kite had landed, and then they tied and pulled that one across. Then they tied a little bit bigger string, and finally they got up to a cable, and the cable got up to a heavier cable, and then they were able to stretch out the first part of the bridge and the second part. But the bridge that you and I have seen at Niagara Falls started with a kite string. God does amazing things with small things. As a matter of fact, have you seen what God did with nothing lately? He created a universe, my friend. So if our God can create a universe with nothing, just imagine what he could do with something. If he can do all this with nothing, just imagine what he could do through you. Just imagine what he could do through you. Just imagine if you just said, God, here I am. I'm not a great thing. I'm a, uh, nobody knows about me, God, but I've got a burden in my heart. I've got a passion, and I know what your word says, and I know that you want to use me, and you want to change our city. So, God, here I am. I'm just garbage at your disposal, God. Whatever you want to do, I just yield myself to you. And God says, oh, man, look. Look out, angels. I'm about to do some amazing work. Look out, Satan. I'm coming for your kingdom. Look out, San Jose, California. I got some little people. I got some small people. I got a small church that they are about to see something great happen because 
Small has nothing to do with significance. And the church has to once again change our mind to say, you know what? It's the small things that can have the greatest impact. Think about the SEAL teams. Do they send a whole platoon in to those hot situations, those tense situations? No. A SEAL team can consist with as little as four men. And those four men can equal almost an army. Imagine what God can do through you and me. When we say, God, I just make myself small. And God says, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a church that is humble. As a matter of fact, in, in Chronicles, he says, if my people, which were called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. That's what we need. Our land is sick. Our land is broken. And COVID didn't do it. That's not what did it. The election didn't do it. Abortion didn't do it. Sin did it. And sin needs a cure. You say, what is the cure for sin? It's Christ. Christ is the cure for man's sin problem. And we are the people that have it. And if we would be small, we would be able to make a big impact. We don't need to be all about ourselves. We need to say, Lord, you use small things. I said, you never fall from a low place, only from a high place. But I love this as we close this evening. You never fall so far that you can't get back up again. Amen. God lifted him up, didn't he? God brought him back up. Anybody can testify tonight that God has brought you back up. That you were at a low place and God lifted you up in due time. That there was a time you felt like you had made the worst mistake anybody could make. That you had fallen so low that you had messed up so bad. But yet there's a good God in heaven that looked at you and me and saw our brokenness and saw our sin. And he said, that's okay. I can restore you. I can lift you up out of that. The Bible says, the psalmist said, he lifted me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a rock. Jesus is that rock that we rest on. Jesus lifted us up out of the miry clay. We can rejoice over that, that we serve a God who restores. This God, he didn't just remind him. He didn't just reform him. This God restored him. And think about that for a second. In those days when the king was weak, that's when somebody would try to usurp the king and take the throne by force. And yet for seven years... Nebuchadnezzar's king was left untouched. You get this, church. Listen to me. The king was grazing on grass, but even as the king was grazing on grass, God was giving him grace. You can be in the world, and you're like the prodigal son, and you come to that moment where you're eating the pig slop. The corn's already off the cob, and that's what the pigs would eat with the slop. And there's that Jewish boy, and he's eating this stuff. He's not even supposed to be touching anything with pigs. And here he's eating what the pigs are eating. And the Bible says he came to himself in that moment. And he came to himself. And he said, my father's servants have food to eat and clothes. I will now go to my father. And I will say, father, I have sinned. And I will say, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, but to be one of your servants. 
And the Bible says the father saw the son a great way off. And while he was a great way off, the father came running to his son. In that day, Jewish men did not run. It was undignified to run. You walked. But the Bible says that this father didn't care the love that he had for his son. He didn't care if he was undignified. He didn't care if he was a hot mess. He didn't care if he was ugly crying. That was his son. And God looks at you and I and he says, you are my daughter. You are my son. And I want to lift you up out of that. But first, but first, God restores. He does. But notice what the word said, though. Notice, if you would, verse number 34. The Bible says, and at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and I honored him, He who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Did you catch the word? He lifted his eyes. No, think, 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 think. At first, he was saying, look what I have done. Where was he when he was saying that? He was saying this. Look what I have done. Look at my might. But by the time he gets to verse 34, you know where he's at? He's on all fours like an animal. He lifted his eyes to heaven. He says, look what God has done. Look what God has done. Look what our God has done. When's the last time, friend, that you lifted your eyes to heaven and said, look what God has done? I know you don't have everything you want. I know that there's things you're still praying and begging God to do. But for once, lift your eyes to heaven and say, look what God has done. We have another day. We have breath in our lungs. We've got one more chance to serve God. We've given us another day. I will every day praise the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice in it. Can we lift our eyes to heaven and praise him? You see, it wasn't just that he lifted his eyes. He began to bless the God of heaven, and honor him. You know the word bless and honor? You know what it literally means? It means, it has this idea that he was prostrate. It has this idea of kneeling because he's worship, and the word worship in the Hebrew is the same word as a dog. Why? Because a dog, when it sees you, when it's happy to see you, what does it do? It gets down really low and it wags its tail. And I'm not going to do a demonstration for you, but you get the picture. And God is saying, that's what you and I are to do to God. We get down low and we see him. And we just marvel for a second. And we do what the songwriter said, and we look full in his wonderful face. And we just marvel. You know, I I get prideful and I think about me. I think about the things I don't have or the things I want. And I think about all the struggles, and I can get so focused on me. But there needs to be a moment where you and I break away from all that. And we lift our eyes towards heaven. And we say, God, I need to realize something. You see, he had a realization. You and I need to understand that there is a connection between our restoration and our realization. Because until you realize who God is and who you and I are, we will never be restored. If you have fallen 
and you're at a low place and you know that only God can restore you, then you need to know who he is and that he's the only one who can restore you. But this word that he realized is the same word as metanoia, which means to repent, which means to change his mind. Which, as you know, the hardest thing to change is somebody's mind. I can't change a single person's mind in here. I can't change my kid's mind. I can't change my wife's mind. My son has the game Fortnite. Anybody ever heard of Fortnite? You heard of Fortnite? A few of you heard of Fortnite. Fortnite is a great idea. We should have invented it. We would have been trillionaires. Because you can buy these things called skins. What's a skin? It's a digital graphic that you pay $8.99 for. $8.99 for nothing. It's like Dogecoin. It's nothing. What are we buying? I don't know but they are printing money on this Fortnite stuff. And I was going to get my, kid and my son a skin. I was like, hey, I got some money. You can, you can get some skin. I can't believe I'm, giving, I'm buying this digital stuff. I mean, you don't have anything. It's not like you can build it and play with it and put it on the shelf. No, it's, it's, it's that. It's, it's a picture that we're now paying for. Look what the world has come to. And he was like, I want this skin. I said, I don't want to be a chicken man. He said, yeah, let's be a chicken man. Let's run around in this little game, and we'll be a chicken man. I said, we're about to be fried chicken if we're the chicken man. That's not going to work. He's like, okay, let's be the banana man. I was like, how can we can't just be a normal man, man? Like, why we got to be a banana? Why we got to be a chicken? Why, Why? Can you tell that the father's thinking is different than the child's thinking? I couldn't change his mind. He couldn't change my mind. So I picked Batman. He got mad. I was like, well, you're Batman. Here's what's amazing. We can barely change our own minds, can't we? So the hardest thing for you and I to do is to humble ourselves. I am not standing here saying what you're about to do is easy. Repentance is hard. I'll say it like this. Repentance actually hurts. It hurts when I got to go tell my wife, hey, uh, babe, yeah, um, uh, yeah, I messed up. That hurts. That is hard. But here's the weird thing. Even though repenting to somebody we've wronged hurts and it's hard, when we get done repenting, oh, it heals. Oh, it feels so good. Oh, man. After I repent to my wife, man, I'll never leave the toilet seat up, I promise. Just don't beat me again. No, she doesn't do that. Uh, But after I repent to her, it's just like, wow, the relationship starts all over again. And then we make out. And then that's all I'm going to share. But I'm telling you, it's amazing. And I'm telling you, don't repent to your boss. and No, don't do that. Spouses only. But the reason you and I don't repent is because it hurts and it's hard. And so we don't repent. We don't hit the aisle and we say, God, I have sinned. We don't do it because we know it hurts to admit being wrong. It hurts. But oh... Christian, it heals. There is a restoration that happens when we repent, when we come to God and we say, God, I've been climbing my little ladders, God, and God, I even got pocket-sized ladders that whenever I just, I just, I just pull up and I just, I just, oh, what are we talking about? Yeah, whatever, yep, yep, man. I just stand on that, a little bit taller than you, yep. We just, I'm ready to go. I brag about anything. Instead, we say, God, I put that on the altar. God, I put this on the altar. I put it all on the altar. 
man, my wife, she was cleaning out the garage. That's a dangerous thing. And she came across a letter I wrote to her parents several years ago. It was a breakup letter. I was breaking up with her. I don't know why she saved it. And then she got mad. I overnighted it. I spent $16. I want to make sure her family got it the next day. And she pulled it out yesterday. And I was like, oh, man, guess we ain't making out tonight. I guess that's what's going to happen because she was all kinds of mad. She was like, you broke up with me through an overnighted letter? And I was like, I don't know what I was thinking. And then we read the letter. And I, I don't know. I don't know if this is real, but at the time, this is what I said. I said, I want to focus on the Lord, all right? At the time, that's what I meant. I was laying down some big ladders. But thank you, Jesus, he restored the ladder, and now I'm married 12 years later. Amen. My friend, God restores. Just as quickly as he puts you down, he can pick you up. Just as quickly. See, in the scripture, God said, leave the root. If you want to make sure a tree is dead and gone forever, what do you do? You, you got to remove the root. But God said, Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to cut every branch. We're going to clip all the fruit. Everything that everybody looks at you and says, look at how successful you are. I'm going to take it all away. For seven years, for seven years, people are going to think you're a loser. They're going to think you're a failure. They're going to think, this guy is a monster. They're going to be crossing some field, and they're going to look over there and be like, what is, is that an animal? Oh, that was King Nebuchadnezzar? The one that other nations feared? The one that conquered the entire known world? The one who built the beautiful hanging gardens that were the seven wonders of the world for his wife? That's Nebuchadnezzar. You've got to be kidding me. For seven years, that's what people said. I don't know how long you have to humble yourself. I don't know how long that season you just say, God, I, I'm just not going to pick that ladder back up. I just, I'm going to stay humble, God. Because God can use you when you stay humble. Worship team, would you come up to the platform, please? We're wrapping things up. But yet we live in a culture where we don't think God will pick us up. We hear all too often of Job, and we think, I don't want to be Job. I don't want God to put me down. But even at the end of the book of Job, he ended up better off. Now, nobody wants to go through what Job went through, but understand that we do serve a God who can restore. But before there's restoration, there's got to be a moment where we say, Lord, I'm willing to lay down the idols. I'm willing to take these things that I've held on to, these things that I bragged about, these things that I thought my status and my value were tied up in, and I'm willing to set those down, and I'm willing to say, God, those are just idols. And God, I don't want my pride to keep turning men into monsters. So if pride turns men into monsters, then we need to once again say, God, help me. Because we all want to go higher for the Lord. But did you know the way to go higher is to be humble? That's the only way. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. At the right time. If he hasn't lifted you up and you're doing right and you're living righteous and you're doing everything you can, you're saying, Lord, as much as I can, I'm trying to stay in your house. As much as I can, I'm trying to stay in your word. Lord, as much as I can, I'm trying to live right with all men. God, as much as I can, then guess what? At the right time. It just may not be your time yet. 
I know that there's going to be a time when our church is going to have that building. We're going to pack it full. But right now is not the time. So until the time we're faithful, until the time we love, until the time we serve, maybe you say, I'm single and I want to be married and I want to have a godly spouse. And maybe you just say, man, I'm waiting for that and my life can't start for that. But until then, you just keep serving God, loving God. You keep being a blessing to all those around you because at the right time, you say, I'm waiting for that promotion. I'm waiting for that job. Then you keep being faithful. You keep being diligent because at the right time, God will lift you up in honor. And maybe that's the verse you need to circle right now. Maybe you've been praying for something. Maybe you've been saying, God, I don't know when it's going to happen. But you hold on to 1 Peter 5, 6. And humble yourselves. It's hard to fall from a low place. But you will always fall from a high place. Let's all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Daniel, Father. I thank you for its profound lessons. I thank you how it teaches us about humility. It guards us against pride. Father, I pray for every person in this room. I don't think pride is something that we just naturally see within ourselves. So, Father, would you reveal it? And Father, maybe there's a person here that, yes, they, they need to repent of their pride. It's wrecking everything around them. They're so full of pride, it doesn't stink to our nostrils, but it stinks to yours. And you've been resisting their prayer life, you've been resisting them. And so, Father, may tonight they repent of their pride. But, Father, I believe there's another person in this room this evening, and they've been in a posture that says they are living low. And they are living in such a manner that they're waiting for you to lift them up, God. And maybe they're discouraged for all the waiting and maybe they just feel like it's over it's not worth it it's time to give up and so father would you help them to realize that in due time that you will work it out that you will lift them up and so father would you bless would you instruct and encourage at this time church if you'd like to come forward to an altar and pray you want to humble yourself we're going to spend some time at the altar so if you feel so led, you slip out of your seat or you make an altar out of your seat and you pray right there and say, Lord, I want to be humble in your sight. I want to repent in your sight. Right now as the altar is open, you come forward. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.